to the Bible if you want to follow the reading. Uh, we've been in our morning services here uh, looking through John's Gospel, and we're up to chapter 6 of John's Gospel. And we'll read uh, the first 21 verses. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is, the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the miraculous signs he was performing on the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover feast was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming towards him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, eight months' wages would not buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, make the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and the men sat down, about 5,000 of them. Then Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted, and he did the same with the fish. When they had had when they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled twelve baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the miraculous sign that Jesus did, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. And when evening came, his disciples went down to the lake where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark and Jesus had not yet joined them. Strong wind was blowing and the waters grew rough. When they had rowed three or three and a half miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were terrified. But he said to them, it is I, don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. Let's just pray together. Father, thank you that we can read the scriptures, that we have them in our hands and in our homes, and we pray that we would have them in our hearts as well. And we thank you for what they teach us of you, and we pray today that you will teach us new things, or remind us of old truths that we have forgotten. But may your word accomplish what you've planned and purposed for this morning. In Jesus' name. 
Amen. I love watching uh, detective programs on telly, so I thought we'd have a little bit of a quiz. It's a very easy quiz, but we'll, we'll have a quiz. Watching the detectives, James, can we have that? Guess who? So, uh, first picture, can you guess who this detective is? Poirot. Yeah, that's a, too easy. Next one. Because of the lights, it's a slightly difficult one. It's Miss Marple. Well done, Hermie. Don't shout out. Raise your hand. No, no, sorry. Only joking. Only joking. Actually, it's well, too easy. Go on then. Okay, okay. Go on then. Inspector Morse. I think I'm... Oh, you get an extra point for Lewis as well. I think I should have done a harder quiz. Oh. Columbo. Very good. Oh, this is the hardest one. It's the number one ladies detective. And what is her name? Precious Ramotswe. I couldn't remember either, but um, there you go. I think we may have, may have one more. Scooby-Doo! <laughs> is there another one? I can't remember. Have we got one more? This was my favorite one when I was a child. Danger Mouse. Anyone remember Danger Mouse? Not only three of us owning up to that. Four. Five. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Now you're all wondering, what on earth is he on about? When you watch or read detective stories, you quickly learn that throughout the story, the plot, there will be clues along the way to the identity either of the culprit or a solution to the mystery. And you realize, if you're very sharp, that there is nothing there by accident. They are there deliberately laid that you might get it. And similarly, there is nothing in John's gospel that is there by accident. It is all there that you might get it, that you might understand who Jesus really is. In fact, John's gospel, more so than the other gospels, contains more detail. But all of it is there to lead us, to help us to continue to believe in Jesus. John actually says that's why he writes his gospel. If you get to the end, chapter 20, he says, Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Christ. That you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, Savior, Lord, Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And John, as you've discovered if you've been here over these weeks, talks about signs. That the miracles that Jesus performed were signs pointing to who he was. And he stopped counting after two. He says this was the first sign in Cana of Galilee, water into wine. The second sign was the healing of the official's son. From a distance, Jesus just says he's healed. 
And then he stops counting them off, but we can. The healing in the pool of Bethesda. And here we come to the fourth and fifth signs. And one of the details that John gives that just, just lies sort of as the backdrop to this passage is that he mentions, and I've, I've overlooked it several times when I've read about the, healing of the, 5, 000, the feeding of the 5,000 because I want to get into the action. It's such an amazing miracle that John says the Passover was near. And that when you understand the feeding of the 5,000, you will understand more about the Passover. That Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. That he is the fulfillment of all the aspirations of the Jewish people looking for the Messiah who will be the saviour of the world. I don't know about you, but when I've read the Gospels and I've tried to put it all chronologically, it's really hard, isn't it? Because the, the, the Gospel writers don't help us with that, dates and times. But John actually does help us. He mentions three Passovers in his Gospel. The first Passover, when Jesus went to Jerusalem and he cleansed the temple, it was in chapter 2. This is the second Passover that he mentions. And the third Passover that he mentions is when Jesus goes to Jerusalem that final time, the triumphal entry, the Last Supper, crucifixion, resurrection, ascension. Three Passovers, three years in the public ministry of Jesus. In fact, the last nine chapters of John's Gospel just relate the events of that last Passover, the Passion of Jesus. So John, as he writes his Gospel, and he was the last writer of the Gospels, he was the one writing it after the other Gospels had been written, more reflection, more theology in it. Looking back over what Jesus had said and done and seeing so much in it. John clearly sees Jesus as the fulfillment of the Passover, as Jesus did. John was present at the Last Supper when Jesus was celebrating the Passover with his disciples. And in the midst of that celebration and all the food that they were eating, all the symbolic food of, of that deliverance from Egypt, from slavery, when God delivered his people, brought them out of the slavery into the promised land, Jesus takes bread and he says, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He is the fulfillment of the Passover. And then he takes the cup and says, this is the new covenant in my blood. There is a new agreement between heaven and earth. And it's through me that men and women and children may be saved. So when you think of the Passover, how God brought his people out of slavery from Egypt. It was the biggest festival among the Jews. When they would celebrate how they put the blood of the lamb on the doorposts so that the angel of death would pass over. It was the blood of the lamb that saved them from death. Jesus is the fulfillment. This is my blood of the new covenant for the forgiveness of sins. And then through the Red Sea on dry ground, how God parted the waters. How in the wilderness, 
He fed them every day with manna, bread from heaven. That is the backdrop of the feeding of the 5,000. John says it. Passover was near. So chapter 6 opens up with the account of the feeding of the 5,000. This amazing miracle. It's the one sign, one miracle that is recorded in all four Gospels apart from the resurrection, which is the greatest sign of all, the greatest miracle of all. And John introduces the story. Jesus is seeking some privacy with his disciples and they head to the far shore of Galilee, up onto the mountainside. The nearest town is Bethsaida. But the huge crowds that have been witnessing his miracles say, he's on the move. Let's go. Let's go after him. And they follow him. Huge crowds follow Jesus. Because they've seen him heal the sick. And they're saying, who is he? And Jesus welcomes them. And he teaches them. The other gospels tell us that all day he taught them. And it starts to get late. Luke records the disciples saying, it's getting late, Jesus, send them away. Well, maybe they didn't say it like that. Jesus, send them away. John's gospel gives us a little bit more detail. He actually gives Philip and Andrew a speaking part. They don't speak in any of the other gospels, Philip or Andrew, but here they do. They're given a voice. John's Gospel tells us how Jesus asked Philip a question. Philip, where should we buy bread for all these people to eat? So I think that's a little bit of an unfair question because John actually says Jesus only did it as a test because he knew what he was going to do. I mean, I think that's a little bit unfair. It's just because I resonate with Philip. For some reason, I just resonate with him. And Philip, he's, I mean, he's, he's kind of like, and he does, but he's very good at maths. Unlike me, he's very good at maths. He does some quick calculations. 5,000, at least 5,000 men are here, let alone the women and children. So for everyone to, it must be eight months, eight months wages, wouldn't buy enough bread for everyone to have a little bite. 200 denarii, it says in my footnotes. That doesn't help me either. It's eight months, eight months' wages. And then Andrew pipes up. It's interesting to me that Philip and Andrew were not in the inner circle of the, of the disciples. That's Simon and John and James. Philip and Andrew are the ones who are on just the fringe. People find them approachable. Elsewhere in the Gospels, people come, we want to see Jesus. They ask Philip, we want to see Jesus. And uh, Philip says to Andrew, they want to see Jesus. Andrew goes to see Jesus and says, people want to see you. They're the people who are on the edge. There, there are those of you here who have such an amazing ministry just on the fringe of church. Introducing people to Jesus. More than I would ever have. And it's such an important ministry. 
And I want to bless you in that. And now we're all called to be witnesses. Wherever you are, at school or work, college, wherever. To be those who can say, yeah, I can introduce you to Jesus. Andrew pipes up and he's spotted this boy. We don't know whether the boy had come out. We don't have the details, but he's got five small barley loaves. Don't imagine the big loaf of bread, the bloomer, or the tiger loaf, what an odd thing. Um, these were tiny little rolls, almost scone-like, or scone-like. <laughs> and he's got two small fish. Again, not the big salmon on the... Two like little sprats. But where, how far will they go among so many people? And Philip, during this time, will have to learn to change his calculator. Not his own, but God's calculator. Jesus says, get the people to sit down. They were in a place with plenty of grass. Mark tells us it was green grass. Passover time. It wouldn't have been barren at that time. It would have been green grass. And Jesus give thanks. I mean, isn't it just wonderful how John just says it? And Jesus gave thanks. And he distributed. And everyone had their fill. From five small rolls and two sprats, at least 5,000 men plus the others had their fill and were satisfied. It's amazing, isn't it? Jesus is just so amazing. Passover. God fed the people in the wilderness with bread from heaven every day. Jesus is the fulfillment. And he multiplies the bread. Have you heard how people have interpreted this miracle? Even Christians have interpreted this miracle because they just cannot accept it. Cannot believe that Jesus could do this. They have demythologized the gospel. I had to say that very carefully because it's hard to say. Oh, oh, we know what really happened. It was much more of a sacramental meal. You know when we share communion, Hermie bakes a loaf. It's a one pound loaf. It feeds 200 people. How is that done? And then when it comes back, the baskets are still fairly full. Because everyone has just taken the minusculest piece. I don't know about you, it's always fresh that morning. I take a big hunk. You. <laughs> I encourage you, take a big piece. Oh, it won't be enough to go around. I'll take the tiniest piece. Some commentators have felt that's what happened. Jesus shared these five loaves and two fish. And everyone said, well, I can't take much. I'll just take a tiny piece. Sort of rubbish. Oh, this is my favorite version. Andrew spotted the boy with the packed lunch. Jesus kind of thought everyone's got a packed lunch, but they're not sharing it. And the real miracle that happens is that Jesus encourages everyone to share their packed lunch. 
Because now the boy's done it, everyone else, well, I, I've got mine here, but I didn't want to show anyone. Cause I've actually heard that. That that's the real miracle here. That actually Jesus doesn't alter the bread, he alters the hearts of men and women. And it sounds really nice, but it's complete tosh. <laughs> Do you know why? John gives us the evidence. Jesus says, afterwards, make sure you collect the leftovers. Twelve basket full. The other evidence. They wanted to make Jesus king by force. Because of the amazing miracle that they have witnessed. Call me old-fashioned. If someone had just given me the tiniest piece, I wouldn't be going, wow, that is amazing. Or if someone had persuaded me to share my lunchbox with those around me, I would not be saying, let's make him king. Would you? They had seen something absolutely extraordinary. So extraordinary. All the gospel writers have to put it in because it was the most amazing thing. That, I don't know how it happened, whether Jesus lifted up those baskets and suddenly they just overflowed with bread or whether when they passed it around, it just never ran out. Well, God can do that. There's stories in the Old Testament of jars of oil never running out. Nothing's too difficult for God. It's a sign. Who is Jesus? It's a sign. He is God in the flesh. And the crowds begin to say, surely this is the prophet that was to come, the one Moses talked about. They intended to make him king by force. He's a guy who heals diseases. He's a guy who can banish hunger. And they're all up for it. They're up for it. An uprising. 5,000 men. You have an army straight there in Galilee. We can march on Jerusalem now. Kick the Romans out. It's a Mel Gibson moment. Braveheart. Freedom. That's why it's all rubbish, these excuses. Why taking the miracles to par apart as if they never happened. These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is the Son of God, that he is the fulfillment of all the promises of the Old Testament. They want to make him king by force. And Jesus sees the temptation of that. See, there is a temptation in that. Isn't that one of the temptations the devil brought to Jesus in the wilderness? Just bow down to me. It's all yours. To have that amount of crowd behind you, you could lead them. And Jesus withdraws. It's not the way. This is not the way. They're looking for the wrong reason. They want to make him king for the wrong reason. 
of what he can do for them. Oh, he fed us. Let's make him king. There is a deeper significance. And Jesus will go on to explain that in the next passage when he explains these miracles. He's talking about the bread of life. He is the bread of life. Now we know God can feed multitudes. If you've ever read the witness and testimony of George Muller who ran orphanages in Bristol area and just day by day God brought enough for every day, just prayed it in every day, there would be enough. William Booth, when talking about the way that the Salvation and Army had had a huge impact in London, God fed the multitudes. This is an account, a miracle, just to show you who Jesus is. And I would ask you, would you make him king today? But not because you've seen something amazing, but because of who he is. Would you give your allegiance total, 100% to Jesus because of who he is? And not just because he can bless you. Not because he might make life more comfortable, but because of who he is that you would actually say, Jesus, you reign in my life. You be number one in my life. Because you are God's. The lessons we can learn from this miracle is that whatever little we hand over to Jesus, he can multiply and he does. Sometimes we have so little to give, we think, Yet we place it in the hands of Jesus and he can multiply it. It's not necessarily your ability. I'm sure I've heard this, even this morning, someone saying to me, it's about your availability, isn't it? If you are available for God, whatever you have, he can use. Don't be sitting there saying, well, no, I'm, I'm nothing. I can't be used by God. God can use you. If you hand it to him, he can multiply it. He has called us into his kingdom. And we can serve in his kingdom. And we can trust God no matter the odds, even when the numbers don't stack up. When Philip was doing the quick multi, this isn't going to work. 5,000 men plus. God's calculations are always different. There is a different perspective from heaven, isn't there? Even on the battles that we face in our lives, that you face daily, there is a different perspective from heaven. If we would only take that view. Sometimes we are overwhelmed by the things that are going on around us. But if we take the perspective from heaven, Jesus is with us. His resources are always enough. And then quickly he sends his disciples on ahead of him and he takes time with his father, maybe just to 
get grounded again. This is why I've come, Father. And the disciples are on the lake and they're struggling because the winds come up and the waves are up and they're struggling. Three and a half miles they've rowed and then Jesus comes to them walking on the water. And people are, again, what are people like? Oh, he, he knew that there were sandbanks in the... The disciples were terrified. Someone's walking on the water to us. They thought it was a ghost. They were terrified. Other Gospels bring us details. Matthew includes Peter. Call me out then. Call me out. What a thing. John doesn't include that. The background is the Passover. When God brought the people of Israel out of Egypt, he parted the sea. Because God can do that. Here he doesn't part the sea. He just walks on top of it. If you've ever read The Shack, there's this beauty. I encourage you to read The Shack. It's a wonderful thing when Mac walks with Jesus and they walk on water and Jesus has to remind you, do take your socks off because they still get wet, but we're going to walk on the water. And Jesus says, as he comes to them and they're terrified, I am. It is I. I am. Echoes of God's name all the way through. Yahweh. I am. This is Jesus. God in the flesh. He is the one who made the sea and all that is in them. And the, the moment he steps into the boat, they arrive safely. Who is this? These are signs to point us to Jesus. The lame walk, the sick are healed, water into wine, food multiplied, walking on water. This is to tell you who Jesus is. Would you follow him? Would you become a follower of Jesus? Would you nail your colors to the mast and say, yes, I'm for Jesus for the rest of my life. He is going to be the one I follow through the storms of life. And he may not always calm the storm, but he will be with you in them. But other times he will just command them, be still. But he promises that he will accompany us to the other side. And if we listen hard, even in the midst of waters that rage, Waves that crash and winds that howl, we will hear his voice. It is I, do not be afraid. And maybe there's one or two of you here this morning. You just need to hear that. This morning, you are in a storm and Jesus just says, I am here. Do not be afraid because I am with you. And when we invite him in, we realize in our own strength, we were never going to get there. But with him, we will get safely home. 
These are written that you may continue to believe. That's why they're written. That you may continue to believe that Jesus is who he says he is. I invite you this morning to respond, to make him king of your life. Amen. I invite you to stand. I ask the band to come back.